in uh, some of my sermons recently, and even in my assurances of pardon. Uh, so in one sense, I'm overdue to actually sit down and unpack uh, my sermon topic this morning. Uh, as I do so, some of this might seem remedial to some of you as we begin. I might appear to be at beneath you at first, but stay with me. Some of the implications of what we're going to cover um, isn't, always, um, isn't always realized. In fact, mature Christians uh, that I respect who have been in the ministry for decades have, um, have failed to connect some of the dots that I'm going to be outlining. So if people I respect in the ministry have missed some of these points, you know, how much more so are other people in the culture and other people who might be influencing us? So I uh, hope that you find this a blessing today as today I outline the three tenses of salvation. Salvation, of course, meaning being saved, being saved from our sins, and to some effect, in context, being saved from the effects of sin on us. Now, what do I mean by the three tenses? Well, up in English, there are three tenses, the past, the present, and the future. And the Bible refers to our salvation in each of those three tenses. If you were paying attention to our readings this morning, you would have seen uh, each of them being referred to, describing our salvation. And so throughout the New Testament. And in short, I have been, as a Christian, I have been saved from sin. I am being saved from sin. And I will one day be completely saved from all effects of my sins. And like I said, we heard each of them uh, in this morning's uh, readings. So I'm going to unpack them, albeit briefly, today so this doesn't become a three-hour class and rather remains the worship service it's intended to be. So first and foremost, in the past tense, as a Christian, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I have been saved from sin. And our second reading, this room uh, was from Rome. It, we talked about Romans 5 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, there was a time where I wasn't a Christian in my youth. Uh, not the sense I wasn't attending this church, but there was a time where I didn't fully understand the gospel, that I had sinned against God. That I had fallen short of his glory, I had fallen short of his standard, essentially disqualifying myself from heaven. And that in my own unrighteousness, I was bound for hell before I understood what Jesus Christ had done for me. That he died on the cross, taking the punishment that I deserved for my sins. So that he could look at me and see my sins paid in full by his deeds on the cross. Not my works, but his are the ones that saved me. Completely absolving me from my sins so that I would stand before the throne of God one day. Dressed in his righteousness alone, as the hymn writer says. And so at one point, for me, when I was around 14, 15 years old, I always have trouble with, you know, doing the math of the dates. But I fully understood that. Asked God for forgiveness. Consciously decided I would follow my Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And in that sense became a Christian. And one day I didn't believe the gospel. And then one day I did. So I can look back on that one day as the day I was 
saved, the day I became a Christian. It's a one-time event in your life when you place your faith in Christ for the first time. It's a one-time event that changes your destiny forever. Notice I keep emphasizing it's a one-time thing. (laughs) It's a one-time thing. And the Bible says that on that day, I crossed over from death to life, became a new creation in Christ Jesus, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us. And since that day, I have been our, such a mouthful to say it this way, but since that day, I am being saved from the effects of my sin, from the effects of it. So what does that mean? That is what we call the sanctification process. The process of becoming more like Jesus over time. It's not a one-time event. It's a process that began that one day and will continue over the course of the rest of my life. um, Sanctification, coming from the word sanctified, where we get the word sanctity, meaning set apart or, or holy or being more like Jesus. See, I can't look back on the day that I was sanctified because it wasn't a one-day thing. But I can look back on the last 20 years of my life and see how that process has changed me. See how the things that I cared about back then versus the things I care about now, the way that I cared about people back then and the way I cared more deeply about people now, the way I care more about God and elevate His Word in my life now. And I see, wow, in the last 20 years, something has definitely changed in my life. And that's the sanctification process, letting Jesus have his work in me, changing me, making me more like him. And that process will continue until the day I will be saved from the complete reality of my sins. Where the Bible speaks of a place called heaven, where there is no more sin, where I'm removed from it completely. A place where all the effects of sin are removed. Where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more cancer, no more horrific floods and the incredible damage that it's done to our area just this last week. There will be none of that in heaven. And therefore we are saved from all the effects of sin on that day. And my goodness, we look forward to that day. But we look forward to it. It's a day that has not yet arrived. It's a, it's a date on the calendar that has not yet arrived yet for each of us. But it will happen one day in the future. For instance, I've noticed that uh, we don't exactly have our Christmas tree up right now. You might have noticed. Nor do we have the wreaths and the lights. So therefore, I guess it's not Christmas time yet. It has not arrived yet. I know those of you with the young children are looking forward to those breaks now with school starting up. But we're not there yet. It is a date coming in the future, just like how our date where we are removed from the full effects of sin are removed in the future. Everyone with me so far? (laughs) All right, good. I was hoping I didn't lose anybody yet. So in the words of John Newton, summarizing that last point, uh, the author of Amazing Grace He said, I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. I love that. 
I love that quote so much. It really encapsulates what it lives, what, what it really truly means to be a Christian on this side of eternity, living in the tension of I have been saved, I am being saved, and I am not yet fully removed from the effects of all of the sin. I am a pilgrim crossing through this world, looking forward to that day yet to come. So all this being said, just a few last little points before I dive into some of those implications I was telling you about. You can't hinder or stop being saved. You can't stop being saved because it's something that refers to the past. It's something that has happened in the past. It's like changing, at this point, the results of the American Revolution. It's in the past. You can't change what has happened. In the same sense, the, the effects of that are, um, are, in that sense, set in stone. My, my salvation has been secured, that I am saved. You can hinder the sanctification process, though. The process of becoming more like Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit will do his work in us, but we need to allow him to do so. I can hinder the process of becoming more like God. Or I can choose to allow him to have his work in me. I can choose to open up my Bible and spend time with him in his word. I can choose to spend time praying with him and going to Bible studies and making the choice you all have made this morning and coming to church and being encouraged by the saints. Those are things that can do to foster our growth as Christians. And there's things we can do. We can avoid all of that. We're still Christians, but the growth just isn't there. Now, I remember an eighth grade biology project that I did many years ago where um, our project was simple. We were growing grass. And it was a simple uh, experiment. It was, okay, what's going to be the best environment to grow grass? We can put it in the sunlight by the windows. We can put it under one of those UV lights or whatever they are. Or we can put it in the closet and we can see what's going to foster the most growth. Well, me being the one to know, like, okay, everyone's putting theirs by the window. Okay, I'm going to be the control group. I put mine in the closet. And my goodness, (laughs) when that thing came out at the end of the experiment after days, weeks, I don't remember. When it came out, that tiny little plot of grass was discolored. It was ugly. It was barely alive. It was still grass, though. It was still there. It was what it was. It was just in terrible shape. And my goodness, God, my friends, the same thing happens with us as Christians. You can choose to become a Christian, and you can choose to live your life however you want. But in the same way, in the same way, you can look barely alive spiritually. And my encouragement to you as a pastor is don't, don't, don't find yourself in that category. You are missing out on more than you can imagine by removing yourself from those sources of growth that we have as Christians. So please hear me on that this morning. And lastly, in covering kind of the basis this morning, if you are saved, again, past tense, you absolutely will be saved in the future tense. That if you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that day, 
that place of heaven, that removal of all sin, and that place where you are in him forever, and that place of no more sin, no more tears, no more hurting, that place is secured for you. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus started it, he is working on you now, and he will finish it. It's all his work. Especially those bookends of, 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 the, of the tenses, the past and the future. And if we can keep those three tenses in their separate categories, you will have an easy time making sense of your Bible and an easy, sen- easy ability to make sense out of the good theology. Uh, however, there's a growing trend of people blurring these lines and complicating these issues. And this is a worldwide problem for the church. Let me demonstrate for you what I mean. Um, people confuse the past tense sense of being saved with the process of becoming more like Jesus. When you blur those two lines, you end up with legalism, the religion of the Pharisees, where you're working towards being saved, confusing the process with the calendar event in the past. Our, um, our Catholic neighbors up the street blurred these lines many centuries ago, and it's the biggest reason why the Reformation is still taking place 500 years later. They say, oh, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but now you need to commit works of love to finish your salvation. That's not the gospel. That is a departure from what the scriptures teach. Jesus' works are not working together with your works to finish your salvation. Jesus has finished it already. He said on the cross, it is finished. It is paid in full. The price has been paid. There's nothing left for us to do except become more like him. And it's a response in worship out of a desire, not out of something to attain, but out of a desire to please him. You see that's what, what's wrong there, that I'm, what I'm trying to highlight. They're, they confuse the, the, the process of what Jesus, or the, the fact of what Jesus has done with what we ought to do. How we ought to live as Christians with what we need to do to be saved. A blurring of those lines has led to a terrible theology that has led to this schism between churches that has lasted for 500 years plus now. And for good reason. There's a reason why we don't have a closer fellowship with that church. Because we don't stand on the same foundation as we do with other Protestant groups. And and I should say, this isn't just a Catholic problem. Don't hear me wrong. Evangelical churches and Protestant churches make this mistake all the time as well. There's, There's a growing trend of teaching that you can tell if somebody is really a Christian by how they live their lives. You know, but you can judge them by their fruit and tell if they are really a Christian or not. And... You guys can tell where where I'm going with this. What's the problem with that? That's also legalism. That's also blurring um, the process with the past tense. (laughs) 
It, it's literally the wheat and the tares parable from Matthew chapter 13. I encourage you guys to read that later, where Jesus tells us precisely not to do that thing. Where he says, essentially, to summarize it, he says, you leave that job to me, the Lord of the harvest. You just focus on yourself, making sure you are the real deal. You know, one tragic example, unfortunately, one very popular Christian speaker uh, earlier last year was exposed for living a duplicitous lifestyle. It was really tragic. I knew the guy. I followed the guy. It was uh, wonderful stuff uh, in terms of his content, but he was living this life that was not consistent with the gospel. And this other pastor, very well-known one, uh, who knows as much about the situation as I do, from the pulpit declared that this person was not a Christian and is currently in hell. Now, it's not my desire to defend a disgraced preacher who has robbed himself of all the, of all the crowns in heaven he could have had if he had lived a life consistent with what he proclaimed. But I do know that I can clearly identify that this other preacher is blurring those lines between salvation and sanctification. I don't know. I can't say with confidence, but the Lord knows. And we ought to have the humility to say the same. And we ought not to allow others to propagate this lie. And then finally and quickly, because again, I said I don't want this to become a three-hour class on these things, and it could be there's enough material there. You get some really bizarre stuff when people blur all three tenses, and people do. People do all the time, and it leads to some really weird theology. They take verses about the full restoration, about all the effects of sin that we look forward to in heaven, and they apply them to now. And some weird stuff happens. They say, well, Jesus died for my sins, and sickness is an effect of my sins, so therefore, I'm not going to be sick anymore. I'm not going to get COVID-19. Sickness has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. The verses they're quoting aren't wrong, but the way that they're twisting them are totally wrong. <laughs> yes, you're, the penalty for sin and the, our ability and our sicknesses have been paid for. <laughs> but it's not yet realized. It's like buy online, pick up in store. I don't have the thing yet. <laughs> it's coming, just not yet. And what's the obvious problem with that, by the way? Death is an effect of sin. And all the founders of that movement are dead. <laughs> it should be obvious that there's a problem here. But, but, it's, but it, even though there's such, so many problems with their theology, there are so many big names in the Christian community that teach this stuff. And twist this gospel to mean something completely different. That Jesus died so that you could be healthy. That he died so that you would never get sick again. And it's a gospel that's going all over the world. And it's a false gospel being proclaimed by big names like Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Joel Osteen. Yes, I will name names because those guys are bad news. Propagating a false gospel to thousands and thousands of people every week. And last and quickly, just again, just I want to be a good steward of our time this morning. 
Funny enough, Catholicism shows up here too. Because of their view of salvation involves works. What happens if you're not saved enough by the time that you pass away? The process isn't completed yet. You still have sin in your life. So now they created whole cloth, this new area called purgatory where you now have to work off the remainder of your sins. It's what they believe. And so you have to go there to finish the job. And so they've created, and you know that something's bad news when you have to create something that's not even in the Bible to make sense of your other bad tenses of theology. Your bad, the, the other two tenses of salvation. You guys see where I'm going through here. I'm rushing through my notes right now because I am out of time. But in conclusion, keep in mind the three tenses of salvation and keep them in their proper place. Make sure you have been saved, that you have believed in what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross, taking your place for your sins so that you wouldn't have to bear the wrath of God for them. Be encouraged this morning to keep being saved, to continue to let the process that Jesus has begun in you continue and have its perfect work in you. To never be content in your relationship with God, but always to seek to have a deeper, abiding relationship with Him. And be assured that one day you will be saved from all the effects of sin as we cross over the Jordan to the other side. Someday in God's time. And as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning, it's important to remember that each tense of salvation has been secured for you this morning because of this table. Whereas the hymn writer wrote, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Where because his body was broken and his blood was spilt, my salvation past tense was purchased. Because of, his, because of his work done for me, after his crucifixion and ascension, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit into each of us, aiding us and guiding us in the sanctification process, fostering that growth that I was talking about before. And finally, my eternal home is secured, not because of my own works, as some people say in a confused way, not because of my sanctification, but because of his completed work on the cross, where he said, it is finished. Isn't it beautiful that this table itself represent, represents all of salvation history at once, in one place, where Jesus himself said, you proclaim, where as often as you drink and eat of this food now, you proclaim his death in the past until he comes again in the future, thus infusing all of history with meaning, thus infusing all three tenses, the past, the present, and the future together in one beautiful place that we call the Lord's table. Thanks be to God. Amen.